Ziegler. Werner. Ziegler. Werner. Werner. Ziegler. Ziegler. Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. And we're here today to talk about season five, episode one. Magic Man. Magic Man. <laughs> uh, what do you think of this episode, Alexis? I thought it was a little bit slow in some areas, but it did a good job setting up the things that we are going to see this season. What did you think? Uh, yeah, no, I, I really like this episode, I think. Better Call Saul, I'm, I'm glad I did my rewatch because I kind of understand, you know, what they're trying to do um, and how they go about it. Mm-hmm. And so in the slow scenes, like you mentioned, I don't get as impatient uh, or I'm trying not to get as impatient <laughs> as I did maybe last year right. when Mike's dismantling a car for ages. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it was really good. Like, especially this first Gene scene, I don't know where they're going with it, but Oh my god! Uh, I don't know what the fate of I can't, Jimmy will be. I just I I can't, I I can't wait to talk about that that <laughs> whole that whole energy. Okay, I mean we can get right into it if you want. Let's do it. Okay, we start off with Gene bugging out, bugging uh, out. Even though it seems like there's nobody really looking for him or asking around for him, there's nothing on the police scanners, uh, and he eventually realizes that, and he returns home, and the paranoia begins to wear off. But. Just then, the cabbie shows back up, claiming he recognized him from his commercials and demands that Gene say the line. This is the cabbie from the last season. Yeah, so if you remember back to season one, episode four, no, season four, episode one, (laughs) uh, he he went to the hospital and then he got a a cab home. This guy was sort of eyeing him in the mirror. And he had an Albuquerque, whatever the team was. Yeah. um, Air freshener thing hanging from his rearview mirror. Right, and that freaked Jimmy out, or Gene out. Um, and so he says the line and the guy leaves and then Gene calls up Ed, the disappearer who says, uh, Hey, it'll be double the price this time. Cause you're, you're too hot, you mm-hmm. too much heat on you. Um, and he's going to pick him up Thursday at the same spot that he dropped him off. But Gene suddenly changes his mind for no real reason. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about that. And he decides he's going to fix this himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't seem like there's any real outside influence to him making that decision it just seems like he's kind of fed up of yeah being a mouse basically being yeah, a bald I, mouse i think it ties into sort of like the whole thing that brought him here to this situation was when he saw the kids stealing the cds dvds whatever he was stealing and he pointed him out to the cops mm-hmm. and he felt really shitty about that afterward and he collapsed you know essentially having a panic attack right um and then he went to the hospital and came back but yeah, you get the feeling like he is, he's not able to live this life any longer. It's been who knows how long uh, since Saul became Gene and he's just sort of over it. He is also that dude's fucking energy just being radiated at him probably Man, didn't help. That oh guy my God. is so good. It was wonderful. I, I feel uneasy just watching this guy on, I, I, I don't even know why. It's like something about his demeanor, something about his face. Is, is just a threatening personality. Yeah, it's like, it's not just, you know, straight intimidating. It's intimidating mm-hmm. on multiple levels. There's that, like, overly familiar, creepy fan kind of energy. Yeah. But then there's the sinister, I could probably kill you in your sleep. Uh-huh. 
energy. Right, and he's got equally his, terrifying. Th- this other dude standing behind him, yeah. who's you know equally Not as menacing, just in that mm-hmm. gust sort of way. You know, the silence. Right. Uh, I, I looked this guy up. His name's Don Harvey. I've seen him in other stuff. Uh, he's playing this character named Jeff, who's the cabbie, and yeah, he's just incredible in this scene. Um, do you think this guy is an assassin? I don't know necessarily that he is an assassin, but I think he might be part of something. Hmm. I think this guy might be somebody. He did, The sinisterness is too, it's too real. Okay. I mean, I, I Or think, he could just be a serial killer just in general, you know? Okay. Yeah, just, uh, what, what are the odds? <laughs> what, how sad is that of an ending for Gene? Just like a random serial killer show. That would up. suck. That would be like being crushed like, under no. a castle. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, and also, like, yeah, this guy's fantastic. Um, this, I, I don't think he's an assassin. I think he's just a fan, but also mm-hmm. fuck him. Because, like, this is probably just Bob Odenkirk's life, right? Yeah. People coming up to him saying, do, do say the thing. Say the line. Yeah. Now point and say it right. again. All right. See you later. I've seen him in interviews about Better Call Saul, and he seems like he's maybe a tiny bit over it. I mean, that's I don't blame kind him. of the way it goes with... You yeah. know, people who get famous for a particularly quirky character, like Jesse. Right. Everybody, like Jesse, Aaron Paul will be walking down the street and people will shout across the street at him, yo, bitch, like, <laughs> just all day, every day. Something, something, Funyuns. Right. Yes. Uh, come on, people. Be human beings. <laughs> be cool. Uh, he, he mentions... When he's talking with Saul that he'll do better next time? Like, that, oh, you're rusty? That was the line. You know what? That was what really made me think, shit, this this is something. Yeah. Why would there and be a next say time? that, I think. Yeah. You could be right. You could be right. Even if it's just a over-familiar fan thing, that's still, it's awful. It is, yeah. It makes me wonder what next time this guy has in mind. Exactly. Is it... Is it, is it, because he mentions at the end, like, oh, whenever you need anything, just give, you know, uh, Omaha taxi company a call and I'll be there. They'll find me never within, you know, more than five minutes. Yep. I'll never be more than five minutes away or something like that. Something to that effect. So it makes me think, oh, maybe he's just saying the next time I see you when you call for a cab, mm-hmm. you'll say it again and you'll be better. Or it could be that's like, so, hey, that's I plan so, on showing up in your life again. Yeah, that's so cheery of you. I, I mean, I'm so optimistic. The the doubt. I don't like to judge people <laughs> solely based on their face. It's not his face, man. It's his whole <laughs> fucking energy that makes you think, I don't ever want to see this person again. That's true. That's true. Uh, so let's talk about Robert Forrester. Let's do it. Who's the disappearer, Ed. And uh, also alive guy. again somehow uh yeah so i don't know i i didn't see any information on how this scene was filmed i assume it was filmed around the same time that el camino was filmed Mm -hmm. um because i think robert forrester is looking very similar in those scenes might be a composite thing too it could be that it could be some trickery uh, right but yeah it was kind of shocking to see robert forrester show up again because if you don't know, he died of brain cancer, I believe, mm-hmm. several months ago. It's been like before El Camino finished uh, or released. Yeah. Um, he had already died. So, yeah, it was strange seeing him, but I'm glad he got one last scene. Um, I never know exactly how to feel about posthumous appearances. Mm-hmm. I guess if you've already okayed it, it's fine. But yeah, yeah. The idea of using a person's likeness to create content 
mm-hmm. after they die. It seems well, a little they, ethically weird. They, they can't choose what content that is. Yeah, they can't, like, exactly. Yeah, it's it's strange. And I know we're getting to the point where that's becoming a real issue. Oh, yeah. Um, between, you know, holograms dancing on stage at Coachella <laughs> to, you know, Princess Leia showing up in a movie after she's gone. Like, right. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we haven't figured out about that, but the tech has advanced so fast that it's already happening. Mm-hmm. So how do you deal with that? I don't know. The courts will figure it out. Yeah, well, we'll figure it out. This happens every time Yeah. new technology exists, basically. Yeah. There's a whole moral gray area around how to use it. Yeah, and some people will get screwed by it early on, probably. Mm-hmm. People will feel like, oh, they did, a, they did an injustice to my loved one who passed and people will be angry and eventually we'll figure it out. There will be people who will straight up say, I never want to be a hologram who will become a hologram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll suck. Yeah, I think Robin Williams put some stuff to that effect in his Instead will. Prince. I don't know if he put it in his will, but he was publicly known to be against holograms. Yeah, yeah. I read something about that. Smart of Robin Williams because that's definitely, he seems like the kind of person who would be ripe for yeah. exploitation mm-hmm. post-mortem. Um, there's a shot here that I really like when Jimmy says, I'm going to fix it myself or Gene, mm, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, where there's just a slow push in and you, it kind of gives you the time to sort of look at him and see what he might be thinking because it is a very confusing moment. It's, it's one that like, you don't quite know why he's feeling the way he's feeling, but when you sit there and sort of stew on this with him, like he's going to have to run again. How many times can he do this? Like this is, this is a pattern, right? This is like getting blackmailed. It doesn't right. end. Right, yeah. You're never safe. Yeah. And Odenkirk did a great job. You could almost see his mind change mm-hmm. with that, that slow shot. Yeah, he's great. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to yeah. modern day. 2004? That sounds yes. about right, yeah. Yes, I think so. Uh, Jimmy explains his new business model and persona to Kim, and he's extremely excited about it. Kim is less excited but says he should do it if he really wants to. She is visibly, visibly less excited about it, I would say. Oh, yeah. She has to, like, calm herself down a little bit before she catches up with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he signs paperwork, and he's officially Saul Goodman. Like, everybody's wondering, oh, when is Jimmy going to turn to Saul? This is it. Yep, there it is. And you can go to the courthouse. You can check the records. He is Saul Goodman now. He is Saul Goodman. And we... Got this little shot that was drawing our attention to the fact that he signed his name on his official paperwork, Jimmy Saul Goodman McGill. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder if that's going to come back in a Gene scene next season. Hmm. If maybe that's some way that they're going to trace him back to his actual in a Gene scene identity. Mm-hmm. I'm hmm. I'm wondering how it would come back in a Gene scene. I could see it coming back in like a. A nacho kind of way or a lalo kind of way or something like somebody who knows one of his real names mm-hmm. yeah that's fair because uh, gene is pretty much off the grid like i think it would be really hard to trace gene back to to jimmy unless you had like his fingerprints or something yeah because like, he's been arrested obviously he would yeah get, that's the whole thing that started this thing with his brother is he got arrested mm-hmm. So they have his information on file, and if they caught him again, if he were arrested and they ran those prints, I, I think around 2004, you might have like cross-state police databases. I don't know. We have law enforcement people and lawyers who listen to this show, so correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> but they, they could probably run his prints through a computerized database and yeah, find I'm, him. Yeah, I'm less worried about the cops doing it and more worried about 
uh, criminals. Yeah, the criminals mm. doing it. I just story wise, it feels it would feel satisfying to me to have that roundness where yeah. we're all coming back to where we started, which is Jimmy McGill. And this is my this is my stupid crackpot theory. I guess I guess I'm calling my shot now, but I think we will get the last few shots of the last episode of the show oh, will boy. be Gene shots. Okay. Will be Gene scenes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it would make a certain amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I could I could definitely see like I don't know. Does does Saul <laughs> die at the end of this? Does does Saul survive? Jimmy, Gene, whoever he is yeah. at that t- point. We don't have enough information right now. Right. But it would be really fun to see the process. We've been speculating for a few seasons now what they're going to do with these Mm -hmm. gene scenes. Are they going to give us more as time goes on? It seems like uh, that's not the case, but that could change in the final season. Because there is one more season. There's season six already slated. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe we get more of him. It does seem like all the gene scenes that we've had so far, though, are within like maybe even a week of mm. each other at oh, most yeah. two weeks. They're they're really closely tied together. Yeah, uh, especially the last couple of seasons, mm-hmm. they they just follow each other. Like we pick up right where we left off with him. Right? Didn't you notice that he was he picked up even on the same book that he was reading? Uh huh. Yeah. A... Um the that Moon's a Balloon <laughs> book that he picked up in season three, I think, is what he was reading. And then we go two whole seasons before we see, <laughs> oh, actually, in fact, yeah, he picked that book right back up. In the same spot. Sort of, so, sort of shows him settling right back into the patterns that yeah. he was in before, which maybe wasn't the best idea since <laughs> he got recognized. Uh, all right, let's talk about Lalo. Yes, uh, please. Opining about Werner Ziegler. Ziegler. Werner Ziegler. He's trying to figure out what he could be up to. Uh, while He's interrogating obsessed. everyone in the taco shop. Mm-hmm. And Nacho and Crazy Eight say some of the people are complaining about stepped on product. And Lala says, show me. And once they get to the stash house, uh, Lala finds some shit that isn't theirs is being sold. Mm-hmm. I think Peter Gould, who is now the showrunner of Better Call Saul, just learned the word scales. <laughs> Because they use it twice in this episode, and it's not in the lexicon of Breaking Bad universe mm-hmm. at all. Like, I don't think I've ever heard the word scales in Breaking Bad. I'm convinced that in the off season between writing seasons four and five, they just learned what this word is and said, oh, fuck, yeah, we love that word. <laughs> it's quite possible. A homeless, a vagrant, yes. We can <laughs> uh, do all of those, well, but I've got a better word. Specifically, a homeless or a vagrant who buys drugs from dealers. Oh, yeah, in this context. In this context. Certainly. Uh, but I, I don't know. They used it twice in the same episode, and I was like, oh, hmm, interesting. That word just passed right over me. I didn't even think about it. That's why you're here. You're the smart one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like this this whole scene with the gutter and the uh, drugs and stuff because it doesn't really need to be in there. Like, our story is concerned with the high-level drug stuff, like mm-hmm. Gus building a super lab, right, to right. cook pounds and pounds and kilograms of meth but i think that they need to show us this little stuff because this is how these two entities are going to start fucking with each other which we will get a hint of later on in this episode oh yeah i'm specifically talking about um 
the scene where the mm-hmm. before Lalo shows up to the stash house. No, I know what you're where talking. the drugs come down the gutter. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- down the the down spout. I'm just thinking that part of the reason why we're seeing this, we're seeing how this works, is that these little like the small level of the operation is mm-hmm. what is going to get messed with by these two, by Gus yeah. and the yeah. Salamancas, buttonheads, basically trying to screw each other over. Okay, it's the little guys who are going to feel it. And I mean, go to jail. Yeah, I think everyone's <laughs> going to feel it, yeah. That's... Everyone's, oh, everyone's going to feel it eventually. I've seen Breaking Bad, sir. <laughs> hey, you know what? Hmm. It breaks bad. It does. Like, real bad at the end. Yeah, like, a lot of people good. die. They get they get all shooted up. They get <laughs> shooted up. Big time. But I like it for another reason, too. Because, <laughs> yes, it may foretell things to come. But also... It just adds a lot of flavor to this world. It does. Like seeing yeah. these low-level drug operations. Like mm-hmm. how? What's the minutia of getting drugs from one person to another and getting paid for them? Right. It it adds a lot to the world. Otherwise, you could just see it as like a very isolated sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like with Gus at the top and his decisions, just sort of you know are are cordoned off from the world in a weird way. Yeah, but seeing all these low-level things and it, Breaking Bad did that because we had an insight through Jesse, mm-hmm. but here we don't, right? We this don't feels have a lot any low-level stuff, right? It feels a lot more sanitized, in an interesting way. Yeah, yeah, but scenes like this serve to sort of open that world up. Absolutely, I'm happy they're doing that stuff. Yeah, I like it too. All right, then we move on to Kim giving Jimmy a couple gifts. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy comes up with a promotional offer. Uh, for his cell phone clients and Kim tries to understand Jimmy's decision to become a second-rate lawyer essentially mm-hmm. And Jimmy says he can't be his old self. He needs a fresh start Yes, I I like the line. I got that for Jimmy McGill mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. that's really something right there. Yeah, he's gone. Forget about Jimmy. Jimmy's dead Yeah, and there's this dance they're doing throughout this whole scene, which I really love This is maybe my favorite scene of the entire episode Hmm. And it's not like uh, a flashy scene. It's not fancy, but man, Kim and Jimmy are the the heart. They're the core of this show. And every time I, I see the these two amazing, excellent actors uh, playing off of each other and sort of like trying to figure out what the other one wants, like why why are you doing this? Why can't you understand sort of? that this is detrimental to not just yourself and your business, but our mm-hmm. relationship. They could hear me out and they could just talk about it, but they're not going to do that clearly. Well, Kim would Jimmy kind of, but only to the point where she isn't to blame for anything. I don't think she's willing mm-hmm. to take a lot of the blame in the relationship upon herself. Yeah. I think you're right. Every time she sort of pushes him, like she has pushed him into a new con, right? Like mm-hmm. he, he said, okay, well clearly you don't like these cons. And she said, oh, we can't do it. But then she comes back to him and says, okay, we can do it, but only for good. Right. And right. Only find what's good. That's why I was going to say good is apparently expanding a bank branch. Well, that's the thing. This is, this there's a huge trust issue in mm-hmm. their relationship and i don't know if jimmy sees it i think he sees it i think he understands that kim does not trust him at yeah. all to to he has brilliant ideas right he's mm-hmm. he's extremely good at what he does which is con people <laughs> get them to trust him and then use that trust for his own ends right but kim does not trust him in any way at this point 
And I, I think you're right. I think he does know it, but I think he's in a little bit of denial. And I think and he thinks he can control it. I think. And he's also well. We'll talk about that tomorrow. But there's some overcompensation happening. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and, and there's this line in there where he says, "I go too far, and you pull me back." Mm-hmm. And I think what Jimmy really means in that sentence, what he's trying to say, is, "I go too far." Or I, I go as far as I want to go and you hold me back. Like you you are the thing keeping me from becoming the person I would become. Mm-hmm. And I want to become that person. But I also want to be with you. Yeah. And you're holding me back from being the thing I want to be. But also like he stays in the relationship. Yeah. And she does too. I mean, Kim has her own line in this scene mm-hmm. that is basically uh, don't... <sighs> How do you think that this reflects upon you as a person? And what I think she actually means is, how do you think this reflects upon me as a person with my very yeah. legitimate practice? Yeah, she's. I think she's concerned about her own image, especially mm-hmm. after that Schweikert and Coakley party where Jimmy just totally made a fool of himself, right? Yeah. Talking about that Aspen trip and all yeah. that. Like he, th- that's one of the reasons she doesn't trust him. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, her image is sort of at stake too. But I think I think there's a lot of trust issues and resentment on both sides of this. Like I wouldn't have said that there's much resentment from Jimmy up until sort of this episode. Yeah. But I think he does with that line. He he resents what, you know, what shape her influence has on his life. Mhm. And it's strange because we know that he's doing bad things and she's trying to keep him from doing that. Yeah. But that's not how he sees it. Right. He sees it as he, I don't know, he's almost like flowering into this, the ultimate the ultimate expression of all the things that he was doing before, mm-hmm. which is to say, Slip and Jimmy, except it's actually working this time. Right. It's being lucrative, possibly. Yeah. The chimp with the machine gun. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's a, that is a Chuck quote from earlier oh, seasons. Man. He calls Jimmy with a law degree, chimp with a machine gun. That's fantastic. It is. I only uh, rewatched seasons three and four. Give yeah, me a same break. here. No, it wasn't in those seasons. <laughs> I assumed. Uh, so Lalo goes to Gus's chicken farm, and mm-hmm. Gus confesses, quote unquote, that <laughs> Werner was Werner was working for him and stole two keys of product. So they had to kill him, and he replaced the stolen product with inferior local meth, and he apologizes to Lalo for that. Uh, then Lalo asks about the construction project that he knows about from his Werner call. And Gus takes him to a chicken chiller, which I thought they called the chicken prison and I, the first time yes. I watched it. Which, to be fair, kind of. Kind of, yeah. I mean, what what is a, a chicken farm but a chicken prison? What is a prison but a place that the beings inside cannot leave? Yeah. Um, and then Mike, Mike says hello and only hello to Lalo. And then Bolsa tells Gus and Lalo that they have to make this work. This relationship has got to work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really appreciated this scene. It's it's an excellent scene where the Lalo comes in and he's sitting down with Gus and Bolsa, um, and Gus is apologizing slash not apologizing. 
And Lalo is so clearly not buying any of Gus's shit. I mean, even yeah, when he turns, he turns from Juan Bolsa to Gus and he does this fucking neck bobble thing. I'm like, oh, you <laughs> cocky bastard. Oh, Look yeah. At I mean, you. Lalo is. Lalo is <laughs> He's great. I like him so much as a character. I don't know that arrogant is the word. He is very confident. Confident, yeah. Extremely confident in himself. Um, and he has every right to be up to a point yeah i think i mean he's probably rich he's very mm-hmm. charismatic he's good looking like what's what's not to love about lalo i love lalo i love lalo too uh gus does not love lalo no gus is not even a little bit okay with his shit uh, i think he hates that cockiness yeah yeah it's a swagger that gus does not d- never display it's like yeah it, it's anathema to gus he's just he's professional all the way right and his at least in his presentation of himself yeah and that's the beautiful thing about Lalo and Hector is how different they are, but how much, but how different they are in relation to Gus as well. Mm-hmm. And how they're essentially the same to him because they're both, you know, not about the business. They're both not serious men. Um, yeah. Well, they're serious in a way, but not the same way that Gus is. Right. Um, they're, they're not calculated as much, although Lalo's getting there. I'm super excited to see how Lalo shapes up in his battle against Gus. Lalo is like a more dangerous Hector because he's smarter. He's yeah. just, I think he's just as bloodthirsty mm-hmm. as Hector, but he's way smarter and way more charismatic. He's also reckless. I think like that yeah. that parking lot scene where he's chasing Mike sort mm-hmm. of shows how reckless he is, just crashing through just another car. Pu- just to, pushing a car out of the way with yeah, his car. Yeah. To try and stay on the trail of Mike. And that's very reckless. Mm-hmm. You can get the cops in your business that way. Yeah. Um, who was it? It was Juan Balso who even told him, like, hey, this is not how we do things north of the border. Because mm-hmm. there's, I guess there's probably just more scrutiny. Uh, in Guess's apology, not apology here, <laughs> he talks about these two keys that Werner stole, right. which is amazing to me because there are so many subtle, like, subtexts in oh, this the, conversation. this conversation is absolutely chock full of subtext. And those two keys are one of them. The, the yep. two keys, if you remember... Hector's organization started out taking four keys of coke uh, at each of their meetings. And then Hector said, oh, we're going to push this. I forget exactly when he says we're going to push it, but Mm -hmm. they push it up to five. And then during their final meeting before uh, Nacho takes out Hector, they've pushed it to six. Or maybe, no, it's it's right after. So what happens is like Hector gets taken out and then right after that, Mm -hmm. the other guy in this relationship who... I don't even know his name, but the guy that Nacho goes to these meets with mm-hmm. uh, said, we're going to take six this time. It's what Hector would have wanted. And they take two. So they've taken two extra keys of Coke every time. And so there's a subtext of like, Werner stole two keys from me. You right. guys have stolen two keys from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that can't go unanswered. We had to kill him. Right. Like, th- th- man, the threat here is is subtle, but powerful. And I really like that subtext. Yeah, I mean, and it's, we can tell that that's what it is. His, Mm -hmm. we know that deadpan, like, expression that Gus gets (laughs) when he is being very serious and he wants you know, you to know that he is being very serious. Mm -hmm. And Lalo, he knows it too because all of the, all the jocularity is gone from his face. Oh, yeah. At the end of this conversation, yeah. Uh, I do wonder how how much Gus knows about Lalo because 
at the end of this conversation, you know, Lalo brings up the construction project and, mm-hmm. he, and Gus says, it would be easier for me to show you, which telling Lalo, like, let me show you is the perfect thing to, to make Lalo feel comfortable, right? Because Lalo through the show is always like, show me. Show mm-hmm. me. In this episode, I think it's at least once he says, show me. Yeah. When he, he goes wants to Stash to, House. He wants to go immediately. Yeah. And he's he that's kind of his thing is just mm-hmm. show me. And so when Gus says, let me show you, I think that is a way to sort of smooth over this relationship a little bit. Like, I know what's going to put this guy's mind at ease. And it's going to be me showing him, me letting him get his eyes on the things that he's so suspicious about, mm-hmm. which totally fucking backfires because Gus doesn't have all the information. Yeah. Uh, in a fantastic way. Um, he definitely knows. He knows that Lalo has been sniffing around his operation. I think this is, it's also a way for him to show that he can mess with the Salamanca's side of the operation, mm-hmm. this side of the border, just by delivering inferior product and getting people mad about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like... he can. He is in control of that part of it, so he can slip mm-hmm. in some garbage and there's not a lot of that he can do about it. No, and like Juan says in the next uh, scene, it's basically he's got the control because he's earning the cash right now. Mm-hmm. And all, all of the cash at this point is flowing through Gus because right. all of the product is flowing through Gus. Yep. And so if Hector doesn't have Gus, or Lava doesn't have Gus, then they've got no money. And that's what uh, Don Eladio cares about. Right. So there's a... I mentioned how, um, you know, this this thing about showing you comes back to bite Gus mm-hmm. in this scene where he goes to the chicken chiller. And if you remember last season in the finale episode, uh, Werner was on the phone with someone he thought worked for Gus who turned out to be Lalo. And he talked about how his men, you know, the concrete was ready to start the construction of the South wall and his men could start it without him because he was at this spa um, and Lalo picked up on the south wall and he specifically like asked Lalo, asked uh, Werner, that's the south wall? And he had Werner reiterate it. So mm-hmm. he remembered the south wall. And in this scene, that all comes back. Because uh, this place has got four walls. This place has four walls and they are fully constructed. Yeah. And this is no more than a day later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Lalo knows that Gus is lying to him when he sees the south wall already constructed. And I love that about Better Call Saul, how yeah. they... They don't hold your hand, right? There's no flashback. There's no, mm-hmm. like, oh, remember when this happened. Right. Uh, in the episode, they just expect you to kind of remember it, and they have a lot of faith in their audience. And that's always been, like, a hallmark of Breaking Bad. You know, when the rice and cigarette comes back right. in Breaking Bad. Like, they don't expect you. They they, they expect you to remember, mm-hmm. oh, Walt made this rice in, and they put it in this cigarette, and they were trying to kill Gus with it, and, like, all of this stuff that, that just is sort of built into a single line here. Right. It's fantastic. It's great. It's very tight writing. Oh, yeah. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, 
Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. First two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts quantumly linked ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Uh, so Bolsa is pissed about Lala's meddling and tells Lala that Gus is all about business and that this feud they've got going on is over and Lalo asks if he trusts Fring but he doesn't really answer he says all the matters is Fring brings in the money mm-hmm. um, and I think that attitude is probably going to get them all killed probably. later on in Breaking Bad <laughs> hmm you think so? <laughs> yeah I mean they, they <laughs> trusted too much in Gus because he brought in the money Yeah. Uh, there is a line here about a place called Santiago yeah, and I would love to know what happened in Santiago. Lalo is implying that Gus fucked up somehow in Santiago. Uh, that he fucked up? Yeah, I think so. Because, yeah, because one Bolsa was, he asked him if he trusted him, and he said, yeah, I do. And then Lalo, almost called him Lola, whoops, <laughs> Lalo, <laughs> says something to the effect of, what about Santiago? Ah, right. Yeah, so Santiago, if you don't know, is the capital of Chile. Mm-hmm. And we know that Gus has a sordid history of some kind in the Pinochet regime in Chile. And I'm really hoping that we get some more backstory, some more information on Gus's time in Chile, because it's one of the big questions, the big unanswered questions we had about Breaking Bad that you don't really need an answer to because Gus... You know, he's a scary enough character without knowing his backstory. Mm, that um, almost makes it more scary, not knowing yeah. just how bad it possibly is. 
It, it could. Uh, but now I think is the time if you're going to reveal that information. Absolutely. You've got two seasons left. Yep. Let's do it. Let's hear all about Gus's backstory. Let's get another Kawati story about Pinochet and how he had to, like, I don't know, line up 15 civilians on a wall and do do some deeds that better left unspoken. Covered all of his furniture in Kawati coats. Oh, man. Yeah. The cutest yeah. armchair you've ever seen in your he life. Upholstered, he upholstered, he carpeted his shower floor with Koati fur. Oh, that's gross on multiple <laughs> levels. That just made me so uncomfortable. Oh my God. Imagine your feet being in that feel. while it's wet. Oh yeah. Uh. Gus loves it. Gus just, he, he wriggles his toes around in that Koati uh, fur. That he, wet, wet Koati fur. He nasty. <laughs> he sure is. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll find out more information about Santiago. And hopefully it won't be that. Uh, it can't be that. <laughs> All right, Saul's running a free phone tent at ABQ's Freak Central while pitching them <laughs> on his law services. And beautifully, he brands himself the Magic Man. And he, the Magic Man is on speed dial. Just hit number one. Poof, I'm there. <laughs> uh, it's fan-fucking-tastic. I love, I love the persona of the Magic Man. It's ridiculous. I love the way that this scene is shot, too. It's has, like, this almost chaotic but also very driven mm-hmm. energy to it. It's very, like, you know, snapping the fingers, salesman, yeah, it's a, it's con a, man kind of. Like a snowballing kind of scene, too, where yeah. we start off slow, and he mm-hmm. gives each person... You can see each person who comes in, he gives them a specific, a bespoke pitch, right? Like, he takes one look at them. Profiles them. He profiles them <laughs> and then says, I know what's going to sell my law services to this person. Right. Not and like he really has to do much. That's what Jimmy does. Phones, but... Right? Like, J- Jimmy... He reads people. That's that's what a con man does. Exactly. He he figures out by looking at you, by talking to you, what you want. Mm-hmm. And he pretends to give that to you. Right. Or he does give that to you, but he gets what he wants. Exactly. Uh, and in this case, what he wants is your legal legal dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're getting free cell phones. So that's pretty cool. Uh, there's a scene at the end of this. There are... Uh, a moment at the end of this scene where nobody is really there for his law services. They're all there for the free phones. <laughs> I think literally they're all there for the free phones. Like, I think he set up a tent near an underpass. I've just and wondering. everyone just like this Fast and Furious Marilyn Manson concert that's <laughs> happening is all because Saul is there giving away free phones. I'm just wondering how the fuck he advertised this. Was he putting it on phone poles or something to like, or was it a trail of banners leading to this underpass? How did that work? Know. What came first? Maybe he sent like a text to all these burners that... Why would they need free phones if they got burners already? The friends might need free phones. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure how he got the word out, but he did. And everybody came. He sure uh, did. And But nobody wants his legal services. And so he gives away this... He does the thing that Kim said would repl- reflect poorly on him. Well, that, that he, he said, thinks she right. said would reflect poorly on him. That yeah. he said, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. You're right. Um he does it anyway when he realizes his ploy has not worked and gives away 50% uh, off felony, specifically felony Non-violent defense. felony Non-violent defense. felony defense. Very specific. Uh, very specific. And I can't help but think that this is going to lead into like... People doing non-violent felonies. <laughs> yeah, like I, I guess... Because you look at the people here, right? And mm-hmm. as soon as he says, oh, 50% off... 
they realize like what must be going on in their head is I'm probably going to commit a felony tonight. <laughs> a nonviolent one though. And well, I might see. need these legal services. 50% off. It's an interesting statement. 50% off what? Yeah. It's, it's a cool it's, thing. It could be literally anything because there was no number. We have not established mm-hmm. a number already. Yeah. That's the beauty of, of sales where people don't know the prices of the services or mm-hmm. they don't understand necessarily the value of the service and yeah. the standard pricing for it. Right. Because, you know, let's say Jimmy's rate is $50 an hour, $100 an hour, 200 You double it and you take 50% off that, suddenly you're getting your full rate and they think they're getting a discount. So, although I don't know how much money these people have. I bet a lot of these people, if they have been brought in before, they've only had public defenders. Yeah. They haven't had to pay for anything because they've... That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. And also, the felonies is a delightful touch because if you do the same crime a certain number of times, it becomes a felony. It doesn't have to be the first... (laughs) That's true. You know, that whole repeat offender thing. Yeah. And having him as uh, number one on the speed dial is just so perfect. That's I love such the a sticker. The sticker is amazing. The sticker? Yeah, there was a sticker literally like that pointed to and encircled the number one. On the phone? On the phones. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he flips one open in like the very first part of the scene. Wow. And you see it. It's wow. wonderful. Uh, I did notice the shaky cam in this scene. It's a little too shaky for my taste. Didn't even notice like, it. Hard to watch, kind of shaky. Really? Yeah. Maybe it was just me. My old old eyes. <laughs> Your old, old eyes. Uh, all right, let's move on to Mike <laughs> okay. taking the construction crew out to the desert and telling them that they're being paid in full for a half-done job and making sure that they keep silent about it. And they all drive to different cities to fly out from different airports. Um, seems to be going well mm-hmm. until Kai... Opens his fucking mouth. Opens his mouth, which he's known for. It's kind of his thing. Uh, says Werner was too soft and had to be killed, and Mike just blasts him in the face. You can tell he's thinking, you son of a bitch, I had to kill this guy, and yeah. he was way better than you. And mm-hmm. then that gets turned right back around on him. It absolutely does, because Casper walks up, some guy who is named Casper that I don't think we've ever really seen before. He's tall. And he's very tall. He's very big, intimidating. Mike's probably not young enough to fuck with him anymore but he's still he has that confidence of being in this business for a long time he's just like yeah oh he's yeah got something to say fucking I mean, say it man i don't think mike's scared of him but nah. mike's not going to take the same shot he would yeah at, as he does a kai um right. but yeah this guy says Werner was worth 50 of you mm-hmm. and i think i agree like and it it stings mike because yeah. mike knows right but mm-hmm. Werner was a, a gentle soul an innocent man um, Mike is none of those things. Mike Mike is so closed off. Mike barely has a relationship with his family. And Mike he was... is a murderer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a revenge murder and maybe a justified one, but he's a murderer. Um, he's also uh, running the drug operation for, or, or at least contributing to the drug operations in Albuquerque. Like, there's a lot of shit that Mike has done bad and wrong. Vernon was innocent. Yeah, he was just a little bit of a goof. Yeah. And that is what got him killed. I think, I don't know if Kai is necessarily right about him being soft, but I think he was certainly in over his head and didn't realize it. He didn't, yeah, he didn't realize naivete to Werner. The caliber of the people he was dealing with. Right. Yeah. And the seriousness of his situation and Mm -hmm. the consequences of his actions. Yep. Uh, So, yeah, I, I think I agree with Casper. We also, I don't know if this is something that we know 
in Better Call Saul necessarily, but I think in Breaking Bad we know just exactly what happened to his son, Mike's son, uh-huh. and how that all went down. Uh, yeah, we know it in Better Call Saul. Okay, I couldn't remember if we did or not, but we know that Mike was a dirty cop and he got his son killed. Yeah, I think that's in this series. Okay. Um, and then also he, you know, we know the whole revenge story where he mm-hmm. goes after these cops and right. Okay. All that. So um, yeah, he's not he's not a great dude. No, he's not. Uh, he's he's a he's a guy you can respect. Um, he's super competent. He is nice Walt, to his family. Yeah, and Walt's a guy you can respect in certain in certain <laughs> ways, but like sure. There are other things about him that outweigh any kind of respect you'd have mm-hmm. for him, right? Like his hubris. But his... I still like Mike more than Walt. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think shit. I think it's because Mike has less of an ego. It might be. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Mike reports the job done to Gus. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got these people out of here, and Gus says, "Well, we can't continue building until we deal with Lalo, and Mike will still get paid." For his portion of the job and even offers him sort of a retainer here to keep him on while they're waiting to begin construction again uh, and then Gus says the Werner's wife was lied to about Werner dying in a construction accident and she was paid off and they think that it's all smoothed over which really gets to Mike and if you remember and it's so much so that he tells him like fuck your retainer I don't want it mm-hmm. and I think Mike is trying to quit soft um, quit yeah yeah, I don't think he wants to be a part of this anymore after what happened with Werner. Right. Um, and you can look at it, and if you remember back to, I, it might have been last season, it might have been the season before, but the the church uh, support group that Mike was in, mm-hmm. and the relationship that he formed with the woman there, whose name I don't remember, um, the, the sort of backstory of that character the reason she was in group is because her husband had disappeared while hiking Mm -hmm. just gone she didn't know what happened to him right and so when gus says oh yeah we lied Mm -hmm. to verner's wife Mm -hmm. and she just thinks there was a construction accident i i think not knowing the fact that she doesn't really know what happened to him is what gets mike here and mike says you know parallels that experience he's already had i didn't even think about that right he's so angry and and his own son too right for the longest time he didn't know what happened to maddie Mm -hmm. he he figured it out eventually but he had to do a lot of tracking to do that so like he understands i think very intimately what it feels like to lose someone and not be quite sure what happened to them right all right, so next scene is the guy that I call Petty with a prior because that's how we were introduced to him. Just Petty with a prior. That's all he says. I call him Pathetic Chip Man. Pathetic Chip Man. <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, I think his real name is Bill. Bill Oakley, DDA specifically Bill Oakley, which okay. I did not realize until I looked it up for this episode. District Defense Attorney? No. Um, what does that stand for? Deputy District Attorney. Deputy District Attorney. Yeah, so he's... A little higher up than the really? public defenders. Yeah, I never okay. would have guessed because he has such powerful lawyer from Scrubs energy sometimes. Maybe uh-huh. it's just the baldness. Yeah. He's less, not as sweaty. Less sweating, yeah. Or tall. Yeah, I feel yeah. That's that's strange. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. So B- Bill uh, has trouble getting a bag of chips and there's this really nice shot where we're looking out of the vending machine at the him. The chips eye view. Yeah, yeah. Behind, from behind the chips and you can see like that whole operation goes wrong for him. <laughs> Everything goes wrong for this guy. Uh, especially in this scene where Saul 
causes a big scene, a big to do in the lobby with his film crew, <laughs> who he has paid to pretend to be a news crew. Uh, so that he can gin up business and essentially do a live commercial, a live ad for the people sitting around in exactly. the courthouse waiting for, you know, prosecution or whatever the hell they got going on. Mm-hmm. It's 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 a really small scale. It's strange to me because like Jimmy doesn't normally operate and think so small where he's going to do this commercial for like two people sitting in the lobby. Right. So maybe there's more to it. Maybe they are filming. Maybe he's going to use his footage somehow um, to do something bigger. Mm-hmm. But as on the face of it here, this is him doing a performance piece to gin up business in the courthouse. Right. And man, uh, I don't remember her name, but the the student, the female student, her spray tan <laughs> is so bad. It's like it's very early nineties. I will say oh, yeah. her hair and everything is. Wow, it is a lot of that. Yeah, it's fantastic. And there's a line in here that I absolutely love, and it's the most the most obvious line, the line that has to be spoken, but it's the way that this guy who plays Petty with a Prior <laughs> delivers it. Because mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy comes up. Jimmy, Jimmy McGill, famous uh, in the, the public defense courthouse uh, atmosphere, right? This this Bill guy has been working with him for years. Knows Jimmy comes up suspended. and says, I'm Saul Goodman. Yeah. And he's got a mouthful of sandwich <laughs> and or chips, chips or whatever. And he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't understand, like, what is this case? I've never heard of this case. Mm-hmm. And, and he just says, like, after Jimmy's going on and on, uh, Saul Goodman, he says, you're who? <laughs> He's so confused. <laughs> you're who? You're Saul Goodman? Who is Saul Goodman? You're Jimmy McGill. Yeah. I love it. And he's the exact person to be confronted with this because he is the kind of guy who is going to be so flabbergasted that he can't speak. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's so confused in this scene. I love it. I also love just the way that this whole scene is shot, the way that we are introduced to this Saul Goodman scheme. It almost makes it. It's like how you would feel to be just a normal person and then suddenly be confronted with this. With the Jimmyverse? The, the Jimmyverse, yeah. yeah. Just to have this come into your orbit. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. As opposed to coming at it from Jimmy's side. Right. I don't think Petty with Pryor is a bad guy. Mm-mm. He's a little pathetic. I don't know that he's like a normal person, but, you know, he's got a law degree. Like, he's he was motivated at one point. So, I don't know. I feel a little He had dreams once. <laughs> he had dreams. He had they, ambitions. They obviously got crushed. They obviously got ground into the <laughs> dirt by hours of public defense. Hours and decades, probably. And bags and bags of chips every day. Oh, yeah. Dude's got rowdy poops. That's all I'm saying. He needs to go find that that better uh Oh, that machine. sandwich vending machine. Yeah, yep. the better machine. Uh, maybe we should go to the last scene and we could talk about that. Let's do it. Where Kim advises a guy that she is defending not to take his case to trial. Um, but this guy thinks that the jury is going to like him because he has a family, I guess. Because he has a pregnant girlfriend. Which yeah. seemed to be an afterthought to him. Like when Absolutely. she mentions, oh, do you want to be there? Uh, I guess I understand. Like you want to be there for the delivery. The delivery and he right? was like, and he's like, I'm not expecting a pack. Oh, the, the baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. But but you but yeah. Yeah, which should be first and foremost <laughs> on his mind, but it's clearly not. Uh, and then Saul shows up for lunch and hatches a scheme to get this guy to take the plea bargain. 
And Kim has to very, very sternly tell Jimmy to fuck off. Uh, back off is what she says. But She says like... She says the same thing in four different, much nicer ways yeah. before she has to tell him to back off. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just, it builds. She's so great. Oh, I, Racy Horn. I, I can't say enough good about Racy Horn. She's fantastic. And this scene is the prime example. She's so good in this scene. Um, because once Saul leaves, uh, she decides, actually, that idea is really good. Mm-hmm. That might be the only thing that's going to work. And she decides to go ahead and do it. Yeah. And then afterward, she feels like shit having done it. And like, that's the thing. This is why I say there's a huge trust issue between them because she goes ahead with what she recognizes is a good scheme Mm -hmm. reluctantly, but she does so without Jimmy. And I think that's the only way she would go ahead with this because she doesn't trust Jimmy. Jimmy's too unpredictable. Jimmy's willing to go too far in his schemes, willing to take too big a risk for her. It's almost like she's a little afraid to encourage it at this point because uh-huh. she is worried that it's going to get crazier and crazier. And as we know from Breaking Bad, it absolutely does. <laughs> right. But also she thinks, I, I think she thinks she can control the scheme better than Jimmy. And Maybe. that might be her downfall. Like something... I don't know if something bad is going to happen to her. We still don't know where Kim ends up in the mm-hmm. Breaking Bad era. Yeah. Um, if they're together, if she's alive. Right. There's so many things that could happen between now and then. Could she go off the deep end with one of these schemes? Think that, well, Jimmy's just sloppy. And if I can scheme, I'm smarter than Jimmy. I'm more careful than Jimmy. I'm more calculated. It's, you know, Walter White was the same way. Like he he looked at the schemes and said, well, I'm so careful and calculated and intelligent that none of this could possibly backfire on me. And inevitably mm-hmm. it did. Mm-hmm. So like Kim might be, might find herself in the same spot, sort of taking the spirit of Jimmy and trying to mold it uh, in ways that suit her that she might not be prepared to to work with. Yeah. She's definitely, you can tell, she's visibly, after she does do this yeah. scheme, she goes to the, her her normal freaking out stairwell and she is just like visibly mad and disappointed and kind of disgusted with herself oh yeah there's a disgust in jimmy and herself here yeah when she goes along with this scheme um on her own terms there there's a moment where like you can tell she doesn't want to do it she recognizes it might be the only thing that would fix this problem and i think you have to know that there is a lot of work involved for her if this thing goes to trial, mm-hmm. right? It's much easier to get them to sign this plea bargain or whatever it is, it this is. settlement, and and just, you know, push it off her plate. But also, we know that she's coming to this public defense as kind of a way of, like, clearing her conscience a little bit or just doing, doing some good. Doing some good. Mm-hmm. And it is true that five months in prison for this dude with... A family that's about to expand yeah. is way better than like a year and a half or five years. Oh, yeah. And she really believes that he will get time. She does. Um, yeah. Bigger time if he mm-hmm. takes us to trial. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fantastic acting job here because you can see the moment where she turns and then how hard that is for her. The the like oh, like there's a point where she rolls her eyes she swallows really I was hard say, like, yeah she does see. so much so much acting with her eyes and her like jaw muscles yeah it's wonderful 
fantastic. That yeah, you could see that moment when it changes. Uh, just like with Jimmy. That's it for the episode. That's it. Got anything else you want to say? I don't think we have any feedback this week. So if you do have feedback that you'd like to send in, you can do so at bettercastsaul at baldmove.com. Uh, we'll get those messages. We'll compile them and we will read feedback. Uh, we had a lawyer write in this week, our our resident Better Call Saul lawyer, Doug L. Uh, but he, he said there wasn't much to talk about here <laughs> this week, which I agree with. Um, Fair. So we're not going to read anything from him. But thank you, Doug. And also anybody else who wants to write in for next week's or I guess tomorrow's podcast. We actually, this, mm-hmm. if you didn't know, there's a second <laughs> episode of Better Call Saul out right now. Uh, season five, they released Shit, it's these crazy. back It's great. I yeah. loved it. Uh, so we'll be talking about that episode tomorrow. So look for that in your podcast feed. And until then, I'm Jim. I have a thing to say still. And t- until then... <laughs> This podcast is oh no what what did you want to say oh never mind do it forget it bring it forget it no I want to hear it it's not happening we're not ending this podcast until I hear it the thing that I loved about Breaking Bad and that I continue to love about Better Call Saul is how well they write their characters Mm -hmm. and there are very few characters whose perspectives that we see that feel like throwaway characters yeah so my question for you is who do you think is kind of the mvp of this episode who is like who are you the whose storyline are you are you the most excited to see i mean it's Saul. expand so it's all i'd be lying if i said it wasn't saul saul yeah we've been waiting five seasons to see saul turn into saul jimmy turn into saul and now it's here Mm -hmm. and i'm super excited to see like two episodes of that very specific i I, I don't want to see just saul being saul and Mm -hmm. that's always been like the danger of this show is if we turn saul into saul too early yeah like he'll he'll just become overused uh he'll become something that people don't enjoy seeing anymore because saul is good in moderation Mm -hmm. i don't know that saul the persona is great all the time so I'm really invested in Jimmy and Kim's relationship. Yeah. But Saul is the thing I loved most about this episode. <laughs> totally. That makes sense. How about you? Um, I am really interested to see exactly what goes down with the Salamancas. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I've like latched on to Nacho pretty hard okay. as a character. He's really sympathetic. He's very for sympathetic. A drug dealer. <laughs> That's the thing is that he's like, he's a nice person also. It seems mm-hmm. like he treats his dad really well. He treats. The women he's with really well. He like, tries to treat his underling dealers really well, but he, he keeps does. getting pushed into yeah. beating the shit out of them. Exactly. By his bosses. So, like, obviously, he's he's not that great of a person because he can do that stuff. Right, right. But also, he, he he's nice in other ways. I don't know. And there's a sense Kinda of cute too. self-preservation. Uh, yeah. yeah, he's cute, of course. <laughs> uh, but the, the self-preservation is what's motivating him and what's yeah. causing him to do the bad things this point and you know that worked so well with walt mm-hmm. up to a point like his motives were very sympathetic in the beginning right like i just want to get I'm, I'm about to die i want to get my family money nacho is like my father's getting sucked into this i want to mm-hmm. get him out right and that's the driving force for nacho and so it's real easy to get on his side because mm-hmm. we've seen how good his father is yeah i'm really interested to see if if he can stay that person with like that kernel of goodness in him, or mm. if he is going to go to the dark side, become a total piece of shit like Walt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Nacho's the guy who's going to turn to a piece of shit. I think it's Jimmy. 
I, well, we know it's Jenny. Yeah, if anybody's going to turn to piece of shit. Possibly Kim, too. We'll see. We'll see. We don't know much about Kim. Yeah, I don't know. I'm excited. I just wanted to talk about characters for a, a minute. Me, too. And I'm ready to talk about episode two. Me, too. Not today, though. No. Uh, but we will see you back here tomorrow mm-hmm. uh, for that. And until then, I'm Jim. I'm Alexis. Bye.